Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. At Sif Pop, we're your movie friends. And are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to the Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop Writer and Managing Editor, Robert. Hey, Aaron, why don't you stick around? I like the alternate better. <laughs> oh, man. You want me to yell it out? Do it. Want to reintroduce me? <laughs> and I'm joined by Sif Pop Writer and Managing Editor, Robert. You're the fat-headed beast. Now quit shouting. <laughs> I'm leaving all of these first 27 seconds in, by the way. Okay, good. <laughs> good. We write for SifPop.com, providing you the movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure you check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with those. On today's show, we'll be talking about a coming attraction. We'll be talking about Godzilla vs. Kong uh, coming to theaters. Actually, today, March 31st, the day this uh, episode drops. So um, you maybe have already seen it by the time you're getting around to this episode. So that's uh, that's a fun and interesting thing. Um, well, after we're done talking about Godzilla vs. Kong, we're going to talk about uh, some potential goats. Since Robert's on fourth uh, Wednesday of the month, we'll be talking about some potential goats. We'll be talking about The Conversation and uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. When we're done talking about those two, we'll explore the B-plot. I'm really excited about this B-plot. I've already told Robert. I, I think it's a really cool um, idea, really cool concept to explore. It allows us to get really creative. Uh, but we'll get there in a, in a hot second. And, of course, we'll wrap up with a spinoff, a quick recommend or warn from each one of us. And uh, first... Let's get a chance to know our writer this week, Robert. We got a lot of chance, a lot of chances to get to know you as a writer. Uh, my two questions for you is: uh, People are is, tired of me. <laughs> I'm not tired of you, and that's what matters. So. Uh, what are the most important elements of a movie? What was it last week or the latest episode? Um, as as of this recording, you had Reed on, and did you ask him this question? Yep. Um, I, I was listening to that one, um, and I know you said character. It's got to be character. Um, but I think it's theme, um, theme and coming from story slash the script, because here's my example. And I realize I haven't brought up Lord of the Rings on this podcast in a while. <laughs> and I don't know how I haven't, uh, because it was so consistent at the beginning. But Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, two things that were compared for a long time, still are compared, have stopped being compared when the quality of one went down. Um and why is that? Because at the end of Game of Thrones, it completely threw out a lot of the stuff it was working on, uh, theming, theme and messaging-wise, um, as well as story-wise. I would say a big chunk of Game of Thrones, a lot of the characters on there would rival that of Lord of the Rings. But why is Lord of the Rings going to last while Game of Thrones, what, a year and a half later, is basically completely gone from public consciousness and that's because they didn't land their story and they didn't land their themes. That's why I think that's the most important part of a film. See, I feel like I could make the same exact argument, but with my reasoning with characters, because 
when Let's you think it. about the last two seasons of Game of Thrones, like you think about how stark the characters have changed and how it really just manages to fit whatever mold they want to tell, as opposed to letting the characters be characters like they were for the first five seasons. And so when we think of the Game of Thrones last couple of seasons, you have Jon Snow, who's revealed to be Aegon Targaryen, I guess spoilers, by the way, and then that goes nowhere. And that mm-hmm. character doesn't really get developed anymore. And pretty much for the last whole season, all he does is just, you know, say, but she's the queen. And, you know, that's it. And then, uh, and, and the Daenerys, you know, I don't be- want it. <laughs> Daenerys becomes a tyrant and like just a, an insane person. And I, I mean, of course, it's the Targaryen curse and all that. Like, I'm not the biggest Game of Thrones nerd any ever anyway, but. Um, mm-hmm. like that's the Targaryen way is to become a mad king according to the prophecy, but or mad queen according to the prophecy. But um, you know, but she is it, it, it's just such a stark change and the whole the the build up from uh for the Night King to be this really powerful brooding force only to be underwhelmingly killed and definitely prematurely and Cersei's character just becoming a brute at the in the last season and Jamie Jamie completely losing all redemption that he's built up for the first seven seasons and uh in, in the finale and taking characters like Tyrion and turning turning them from a smart playmaker to a drunken fool and like he's always been a drunken fool but he's also been a smart playmaker and Tyrion's just used to be the most likable part of the show and now isn't or mm-hmm. and so like a Lord of the Rings you know, the characters are so memorable, you know, of course, Gandalf and Gollum and Frodo and Sam and um, Faramir and Boromir and uh, Hugo Weaving. The Golden character. Trio. Yeah. And the and, and, and Pippin and uh, who's Pippin's best friend? Mary. Yeah, right. Like, like, it's been a while since I've seen Lord of the Rings. That's on my like need to refresh my memory. But part uh, part of the reason why, and this this look, this is part of the reason why I don't really like the Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring very much is because you're getting introduced to these characters for the whole movie, but you spend so much time with them and they learn to grow and develop. Like, but you know when uh, when Frodo's with Sam at the end and they're you know and he's trying to or he, Frodo Sam's trying to convince him to destroy the ring like. You feel that you you feel like this is a consistent character throughout, and like you're like, oh Sam, like so I could make the same argument, but you know, well here here's why I love this question is because you are completely right in your opinion, and I am completely right in my opinion, and Reed is completely right in his. All of it is is right because this is a subjective question, and there is no wrong answer. It's true. Yeah, the only thing I would push back just a little bit because. Um, I think Lord of the Rings is bad. I can't even get through that sentence. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> no, I would push back because like with all the characters you listed from Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings, but like the reason why they're all so compelling is because for me, it's like Cersei says something about uh, a quest for power um, and, and being power hungry. Jamie says something about redemption. Jon Snow and Tyrion talk about, uh, or not talk about, they represent Cripples, bastards, and broken things—you know, being more than My three just, favorite things, right? Right. They're, but like the downtrodden, you're not screwed, you know, just because you're born into a lower uh, position than other people. I, I like how character feeds into theme, and I think I'm not saying character isn't important, but I think it's a it's a pyramid, and at the top is theme. Okay, that's fair. But uh, moving on, uh, what's the what is your what do you think is the best part about being a film lover? The Snyder Cut discourse. No, um, <laughs> we're recording this on the day that Snyder, Zack Snyder's Justice League <laughs> drops. So, no, I this is actually a tough question. I nothing jumps off jumps out to me 
um, when, when I think about this question. I, I think to me, it's just being able to dive into a new story because I watch a movie a night, basically, usually more. Uh, I aim for more. I just love, depending on what mood I'm in, what kind of uh, mindset I'm in, there's always something that I can go to. And I read books too, but it's less appealing to me because if I read a book, I read a few a few chapters a night, if that. And with a movie, I can get the whole scope of the story and uh, either learn something, be wildly entertained, uh, just laugh. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff that movies can provide, and that's kind of why I. Yeah, I don't know if there's a for me if there's a best part. It's just like there's a lot of stuff that I love about it, and I wouldn't wouldn't want to trade it. Yeah, I mean, my my answer that I gave the first time is being able to like bring out a movie lover in somebody that didn't realize that they were Um, because that's always just a special feeling but I think there's also uh, I mean there's lots of things to love too but I mean it's I mean film community is out there Uh, I mean Sif Pop has been one of the coolest film communities to be a part of Uh, and by the way you can be a part of that too if you want to write for SifPop.com just let us know Um, just email me at writersroomsifpop.com and I will for sure get you in touch with the people in charge yeah for sure shameless plug Uh, you can write for SifPop.com too like it's been such an awesome film community uh, and there's also been um like I, th- I think that's a really cool thing and then just relatability with others but i think there's also something cool about showing somebody something that you really love or, or showing somebody something that you think they will really love like um and then being right and then being right exactly like look as soon as i finished watching in and of itself i wanted to tell everybody and their mother about this movie movie recording of a stage whatever you want to call it but i was just wanting to shout it from the rooftops and i came home so excited to like hey abby like watch this with me like and and um and like like please and so every time we've been like wanting to watch a movie i keep on suggesting it she eventually caved in she's like i'm not saying like i'm not saying no and that's a, probably the best excitement you're gonna be for this because i refuse <laughs> to show her a trailer or anything and oh, yeah. uh, and she watched it and she's like i laughed i cried i learned i I want to shout it from the rooftops too. So awesome. There's no better part of being a film lover than when you get to share that experience with somebody. It's like when I saw Goodwill Hunting for the first time. I've been recommending movies to my dad for years, for a long time. Um, and every time he watches them, it'll be like, What did you think? It was good, or I need to process it still. And it's always like, Man, I need to find that one movie that he's finally going to love. And I realized that he hadn't seen Goodwill Hunting, and this was years ago. So when I finally showed him, I was like that you got to watch this movie and we sat down and watched it one night and then finished I turned to him so what did you think he just like great and i was like <laughs> finally i i have i have you know i have the validation that i need good job proper but it was it was that it was that feeling that you were just talking about though where you saw something you're like you know who's gonna love this and you got to show them yeah and it's like when you're right about it um yep. it's, it's great and and Yo, t- I I really do think the more I think about it, that's why The Nice Guys is my favorite movie. Just because, like, I feel like I want to show everybody. I just want to sit down and be like, let's watch The Nice Guys and like just mm-hmm. be able to share that with other people. So, you know, that's uh, there's that plug. Maybe for Sposkers this year, I'll convince Dicer to throw The Nice Guys in the schedule. <laughs> right. Uh, not gonna happen. Anyway, <laughs> because it should have been nominated five years ago. It should have. It really <laughs> should have. Um, also, I appreciate that you liked my tweet about re-releasing the Nice Guys in theaters. That way, I I alone could fund the second movie by buying <laughs> yeah. enough box office tickets. I would bring everybody I knew for real. 
including whoever's listening. You're invited. <laughs> so he's a friendly uh, guy. He loves his movies. <laughs> Robert, uh, I got one more random question for you, and that is, uh, th- I mean, it's a little bit more serious than some of the other questions that I asked you, but uh, we're, we're both married men. What was the first thing that you noticed about your wife? What was the first thing I noticed about her? Yeah. Like the first time I met her? First time you met her, first exposure to her in any sort of way, what was the first thing you noticed? Um, not much, to be honest. It was just <laughs> like, oh, there's a girl. Because <laughs> we met through friends of friends. There were... one group of friends meeting up with another group of friends for dinner at the dining hall in college. And it's just like, Oh, there's one of the people I'm meeting. So (laughs) there's my first impression. Awesome. (laughs) Story to tell the grandkids. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, there's so much more afterwards, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. We hit it off later on, but the first impression was not very overwhelming. It's a girl. (laughs) (laughs) My first impression, I met my wife online, and my first impression based off the photos that she chose, and by the way, I think the photos she chose very accurately represented her personality, uh, but was that this girl doesn't care what you think about her. Uh, all that she cares about is what she thinks about her, um, hmm. and she's she's strong in that way. So um, one of the things I've always admired about her is that, like, obviously she values other people's opinions, but she doesn't conform to what you want her to be. She's just like, I'm me, and that's cool. And I'm like, that is cool. Also, I happen mm-hmm. to like you. So that's a, that's a thing. And uh, and now we're married. So it's... Uh, and those were literally all of the steps. Yeah, that was, uh, that was didn't it. Didn't leave anything out. And that was the verbatim conversation that we had on the dating website. So, you know. As soon uh, as you said, I like you, that you just became married. <laughs> Somebody's listening out there like, that's what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Relationship to the advice. Yeah, let's move on to the coming attraction. Let's move on to Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, synopsis for this movie is a squadron embarks on a perilous mission into a fantastic uncharted terrain, unearthing clues uh, of the Titans, very origins and mankind's survival. A conspiracy threatens to wipe the creatures from the face of the earth forever. Robert, what do you think about this movie? Uh, you think? Uh, by the way, I changed this up a little bit. Do you think this is uh, going to be an opening weekend, a discount night? Uh, wait to rent it at home. Wait to stre- uh, till it's on streaming service you already paid for. You're just not interested in seeing this movie. Um, well, in the literal sense, I'm going to be there opening weekend <laughs> because I already made plans to see it with a friend, and and that's because I wanted to see it on opening weekend. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there you go. Cool. I'll get more into it in a second. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you. I'll be opening weekend as well. Um, and uh, I would like. D- all right, so this is coming out on Wednesday. That usually doesn't happen. Is this like yeah. a six o'clock? Like they don't have morning showings, or is this like Tuesday night or the you know the actual premiere? But it doesn't open. Do you do you know when the first showings are? Are they Tuesday night or Wednesday night? I don't know because my theater that I my AMC is only open uh, Friday through Sunday these days. So okay. I'll be seeing it on the weekend. Okay. Yeah, I mean, my theater's opened Tuesday, Thursdays, and weekends. Uh, so why don't you get into it? Why, why are you opening weekend? Yeah, um, it's, it's a weird situation because I feel like I know I'm not going to like this movie. Um, <laughs> because I've only, out of all, what is it, Kaiju? Is that what you call them? Um, King Kong and Godzilla and Mothra Muto. and Ghidorah and all that. Uh, I mean, I think Muto, right? Maybe Kaiju, I don't know. I like I know, know. I know, Muto was the villain of the first, or like are the villains of the first 
Godzilla, but I also thought Muto was supposed to be a generalized term. That that kind of explains what I was about to get into, is that I've only ever seen the original King Kong, the Peter Jackson King Kong, and then like the Kong Skull Island, and then the newest two Godzilla movies. So I don't have like a huge history with it, and I don't really like either of the recent Godzilla movies all that much, but I really did like a lot Kong Skull Island. So just for that reason alone, I'm hoping that this one's going to be good. And I'm hoping that they'll do better monster-on-monster fighting than the latest Godzilla did, uh, King of the Monsters, which I wanted to think... We've talked about this, but I wanted that one to be like crappy B-movie giant monsters fighting, but the cinematography was awful, and every time giant monsters started fighting, there was a cloud or a plane or something that flew right in the way. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping there, there was a budget cut somewhere, you know. Yeah, I'm hoping this new one is going to be that, minus things getting in the way and just seeing giant monsters falling all over the place and punching each other and shooting lasers out of eyes and ears and that's mouths fair. and all that. Uh, by the way, I did do the the research, and at least in my theater here, um, it looks like it's just coming out Wednesday morning, no Tuesday night showings, because it's releasing on HBO Max simultaneously, which I think. I know they dropped Snyder Cut at 3 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think they're doing... I think it's like noon Central Standard Time. Because like what they did with Wonder Woman 84. And I think Judas and the Black Messiah and little things are the same way. Um, so no Tuesday night premiere. This is just straight up coming out on Wednesday. But yeah, I mean, I'm opening weekend as well. And I'm going to reserve all of my thoughts on the first three Godzilla movies. Because next week we're talking, or the Godzilla, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and Kong Skull Island. And that's Hmm. because uh, next week, since it's a fifth Wednesday of the month, it's a specialty. And so why not talk about those three movies on the day that Godzilla versus Kong comes out? So actually, wait, no. So this episode won't launch on the 31st. So this, by the time this comes out, there's still a week. My bad about saying that. Um, You still, we we all still have to wait a week because this is coming out on the 24th not the 31st. Um, so apologies okay. about saying that. Uh, this episode is coming out on the 24th. Godzilla vs. Kong is coming out on the 31st. So that'll still be a week. Um, so I'm going to reserve all of my thoughts on the first two Godzilla movies and Kong Skull Island for next week's podcast. But I I think that the, these movies are simply like a, um, like a theme park ride. They're just fun and exciting and... Monster movies in general don't necessarily do the best job of setting up characters that you care about or plots that are really anything special, but it's kind of really awesome to see. Um, and so I, even though I recognize that not all these monster movies are great, I have a good time watching all of them. I can't remember the last time I watched a monster movie that I was like, nope, I didn't have a good time. Mm-hmm. I might have been like, that was a bad movie, but I had a good time. And you know, part I don't I don't know that I watch all the monster movies, so um, there's that. But uh, and also it should be noted, this is also on HBO Max, like I mentioned before. No, not for not for my first experience. I'm going to a theater for my first experience. I would will check out um, HBO Max for a second or third viewing if I wanted to within the first thirty days that it's out. But no, my first viewing will not be at home, even though I have a good TV and sound system to support that. My first viewing will be in a theater. Um, Hopefully, there's no planes flying in the way. <laughs> also uh, i take issue with godzilla king of the monsters because not only are planes flying in the way but i'm a massive red sox fan and fenway park is destroyed in that movie that's true 
Fenway Spoilers. Park. Sorry. Yeah, it's always a sad day when Fenway Park gets destroyed. But but if you have Fenway Park existing in a monster movie, it has to get destroyed. You know, it's same same thing with the Golden Gate Bridge. That yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, look, I'm not saying I think this movie is going to be good. I'm saying I'm going to have a good time watching it. That's an undeniable mm-hmm. fact. So, right. Um, that's kind of where I go with these movies. I they may not be good. They might be good. They may not be good. But at the very least, I'm probably going to have a smile on my face most of the time. Well, right. That's the interesting thing to me is that neither of the Godzilla movies are good. But I think the Kong, Kong Skull Island, it's good and entertaining. And that's why I have any interest at all in this new one. Sure. Like, I think it's really good. I, I was surprised how much I like it. Yeah. This is a new director. Whoa, geez. From, uh, from any of the other installments. This is uh, um, not... Uh, the person that did Godzilla, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, or Kong Skull Island. This is Adam Wingard, who uh, did the VHS movie, Your Next, Blair Witch Reboot. Most recently, She Dies Tomorrow. Take that, whatever you will. I mean, like, that's a cool idea, bringing a horror person to do this movie. It looks yeah. like the writers are returning from the previous movies. Alexander Skarsgård, I'm pretty sure he's new. I don't think he was in any other one. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown is returning. Rebecca Hall might be new. Brian Tyree Henry, I'm pretty sure is new. He's new. Okay, let's see. So one of the writers has done all three of these monster movies so far. Max uh, Bornstein has done all three. Okay. And then Eric Pearson wrote Thor Ragnarok and 10 episodes of Agent Carter. That sounds fun. Looks like all his writing credits so far are Marvel. And then he has he's credited as script doctor on Ant Man, Spider Man Homecoming, Pacific Rim, Uprising, the latest two Avengers, and Pikachu. So sweet. I mean, that's, got, a, that's an okay track record. Yeah, he's got uh, blockbuster experience. Yeah. Uh, let's see. It looks like other edition. Uh, it's um, gosh, I hope I don't butcher this, but Eiza Gonzalez. Gonzalez. It's E I Z A. Gonzalez. Um, she was darling in Baby Driver. Mm. Um, like she that. is going to be in this. I'm pretty sure she's new to the franchise. Uh, Julian Dennison, the kid from Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, and Deadpool 2. And Deadpool 2. Yeah, but I love Hunt for the Wilder People. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to give that movie some uh, Lance Reddick, Kyle Chandler returning. Uh, Kyle Chandler, who's in friggin' everything ever. And the uh, Peter Jackson King Kong. Chris Chalk coming back. I think he was in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Lots of new people, but still Millie Bobby, Millie Bobby Brown looks to be probably taking center stage, you know, besides Godzilla and Kong. Do you have any other things you want to say? I have one question to wrap up, but that's that's all. That's it. No, I don't have anything else to say, really. Um, okay. I'll watch it, probably dislike it. I'm glad it's not uh, over two hours. It's only an hour 53. I feel like these movies can feel bloated sometimes. Sure. Looking at you, Zack Snyder. And... Um, I'm hoping it'll be the good time that you're talking about with the upside of being a Kong Skull Island of like being actually really being very good. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think honestly, this is just going to come down to preference. Like, look, if you like these kinds For of sure. movies, you yeah. probably are going to like it. Like if you didn't like these movies or didn't at least have a good time, like why would you buy a ticket to go see it? Aside from the fact that you already paid because AMCA list, but you know, <laughs> I think you've already made up whoever you are listening have already made up your mind about this movie. And that's that's fair. You may be completely opposite for us and be like, why the crap do you like those? Do you even tolerate those those movies? And you know, because I like them. So <laughs> because they they put a smile on my face, uh, and I like movies that put a smile on my face. So uh, all right, uh, this is uh, gonna be our transition question. But uh, Robert, uh, Godzilla or Kong? Oh, uh, I gotta go Kong, just okay. because 
I like him his movies more consistently. Uh, and yeah, that's it. But there's no way they're going to be fighting each other at the end, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure that they've said there will be a definitive champion. Oh, you know what? I think I did see that too. But like, that doesn't mean that one of them needs to die necessarily. And no, you know, with all of the power of movie magic, you can always revive a character or like, psych, they weren't actually dead. (laughs) You know, we swapped out a body to, you know, make it look like this was this giant creature was dead. It's like you swapped out a 14 ton giant lizard. Like anyway, um, (laughs) look, if they didn't. If they could nuke Godzilla and Godzilla 2 and kill him, or if they could kill Godzilla and Godzilla 2 and then bring him back with a nuke, like, they could do That's whatever they right. want. And nobody's going to care. didn't he, he went underwater or yeah, something? Had, or because, of course, because, of course, they couldn't automatically detonate it, so he had to Bruce Willis himself in Armageddon. Right. <laughs> right. In Batman v Superman, though, didn't Batman technically win? Like, he's standing over him with the kryptonite. Yeah, I mean, yeah, line. I mean, for sure. If you're gonna up. go, if you're gonna go by that, like Batman chose mercy because Superman said Martha, and that's a whole other podcast. But, uh, but yes, Batman right. had Superman dead to rights, and yes, was victor of that battle. So in that in that sort of context, I'm sure there will be a winner of Godzilla versus Kong before they unite to save the multiverse and Dr. Strange and Mephisto all show up and I don't know. <laughs> well, this is a Warner property. So that would be DC universe, not MCU. Oh, so they'll show up in the flashpoint paradox. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Michael Keaton surfboards in his Batman costume yep. out of Godzilla's mouth, riding like the energy beam and all that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> they should hire us to write the next movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, we'll give everybody the crossovers they never knew they needed. Tom and Jerry are coming too, I think. <laughs> nope, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Chloe Grace Moretz replying or reprising her role from the Tom and Jerry movie. Man, couldn't be more hyped. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, I, I mean, I always take these conversations off the rails. <laughs> look, my my heart says that I want Kong to be on top, but like realistically, like Godzilla is the king of the monsters, and like. You're going to have to convince me pretty hard that Kong would beat Godzilla, especially with the way that King of the Monsters ends with him making everybody bow to him. Like, unless Kong manages to be like this, you know, unless Kong manages to Megatron him from Transformers Dark of the Moon and be like, oh, look at this guy. He's been belittling, belittling, belittling you the whole time. We got to team up and take him out. And, you know, you, you got to help me take him out. But then I'll be, you know, supreme. You know, unless unless that's going to happen, like. I feel like Godzilla having Rodan and King Ghidorah on his side should be like, yeah, we'll take out Kong easy. Like, you you know. (laughs) Well, you thought the same thing about Batman. There's no way Batman should be able to beat Superman. This is the only context I know how to talk about something like this. But I I had read The Dark Knight Returns before seeing that movie, so. Okay. But but sure, yeah, 10 years ago, no way Batman could beat Superman because Superman's a cheat. Same thing with Godzilla. That My money's on Kong. Give me some giant freaking monkeys, man. <laughs> but ultimately, both of us are saying there's no way that either of these are going to die, stay permanently dead. They might no. die, but they're not going to be permanently dead. Can we get... Oh, man, you know what I want to happen? I want Kong to control the skull crushers or whatever John C. Riley calls them to take down Godzilla. Doesn't he call them skull, skull crawlers. crushers? Skull crawlers. skull crawlers. That'd be cool. Like I said, uh, I'm sure there's... There's purists, like Godzilla and Kong purists, who are like, 
yelling at us right now. I'm just, I'm, I'm not trying to belittle this. I just don't know. I just yeah, don't no, have it, the experience. It, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm wondering too. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if if WDB decides to make it definitive. This person's dead, and like if if that's the case, I do think it will be Kong is the victor, and Godzilla is just dead for two reasons. One, I think all of these movies have been underwhelming at the box office so far. Like, I think they've done okay, but they haven't been great for the box office. I do think Kong Skull Island did the best. Uh, and also there's just been, there's already been the Godzilla movies and then you know, you can have your Kong movie. Like if they're not making money, like go ahead, you know, we weren't making money off of Godzilla anyway. Like, yeah. And then, but you can still keep on making Kong movies, you know? So I don't know. I think that's very much in the cards, but I, I just hesitate to believe that they'll stay permanent. Either one of these will stay permanently dead. Do you think well, this will, like a, a do you think this will end like Rocky th- two where uh where we'll see rocky and apollo throw a punch at each other and it'll freeze frame <laughs> i hope so rocky three rocky three no. I, godzilla honestly, and kong so. just each of them throwing a throwing a punch or an energy beam or something and it'll just cut to credits or or like a there's you know like no an amazing spider-man end two ending yeah there's no better way to end a movie than with a freeze frame or like an inconclusive action scene <laughs> like that's what marriage story needed just like <laughs> something Mar- like that Marriage story needed to cut to black when Adam Driver accidentally cut his arm open. <laughs> no, no. It needed to cut to black right when he smashed in the wall, you know? It's always in the middle of a punch or in the middle of an action scene. No, no. that's a, If that was an episode of Sopranos, that would be true, but... Okay, fine. <laughs> Let's move on to talking now about I'm just some thinking guts. about Marriage Story again. And how <laughs> weird that scene of him cutting his arm is. Anyway, sorry. Let's move on to the SIF topic. We'll talk about some goats, uh, potential goats this week. We're talking about uh, the conversation and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, which one do you want to go with first, Robert? Let's go the same way I always do and say which one's first in my notes, and that's Butch Cassidy. Butch Cassidy. All right. Well, that's opposite in my notes. So, oh, that's fine. You asked uh, me though. So. I did. Yeah, I know. I asked you. That's fine. Huh? I, I, that's the one I've seen most recent. So. That's okay. But you can't see the Sundance Kid. This is a 1969 movie. You can catch it streaming on Stars if you have it. Nice. Synopsis here is Wyoming, early 1900s. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid are the leaders of a band of outlaws. After a train robbery goes wrong, they find themselves on the run with a posse hard on their heels. Their solution? Escape to Bolivia. This is uh, loosely based off of a true story. By the way, I guess it's a good time to say spoiler warning, you know, for this. Always spoilers for the ghosts. Right, for this 50 year old movie, a 51 year old movie. Let's see a little bit about this movie is that uh, this has an 8.0 on IMDb. It's not quite high enough to reach the top 250 of all time. This has a 66 on Metacritic, Metacritic and a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, this won four Oscars for Best Cinematography, Best Original Score, not a musical, Best Music for the song Raindrop Keep Falling on My Head, and uh, Best Original Screenplay. This was nominated for Best P- Director, Best Sound, and Best Picture. It lost to Midnight Cowboy. Man, those days of Westerns. <laughs> uh, I thought. I also thought it was interesting that this won um, quite a few uh, British uh, Br- uh, BAFTA awards. I mean, it wasn't BAFTA at the time; it was just BAFA. Um, BAFTA wins. It says Finns in the BAFTA. BAFTA wins. Um, this won Best Film, Best Direction, Best Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Actor for Robert Red- Redford, and Best Actress for Catherine uh, Ross. But also Newman was nominated for Best Actor too, so uh, kind of swept the Baffas. And uh, William Goldman won the Writers Guild Association Award for Screenplay that year. This was induced, uh, inducted into the induced. <laughs> this was inducted into the <laughs> National Film Registry in two thousand and three. 
uh, in the Library of Congress. And AFI has this as the seventh greatest Western of all time, 73rd on 100 Years, 100 Movies, and uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid as 20th of the greatest heroes in 100 Heroes and Villains, which is odd because they're not heroes. Uh, yeah, they're protagonists. Yeah, they're protagonists for sure. Uh, this is my first time seeing this movie. I've heard about it for a while. Uh, I was excited because I like these two actors a lot. That's really my main excitement. But yeah, I I was always interested in seeing this movie because for whatever reason, over the years, my dad has always said Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is one of his movies that he liked from when he was a kid. But for whatever reason, in my 20-something years, he's just never shown it to me. So I had to take it upon myself to watch it. It wouldn't take too long if you're asking someone to name the greatest actors of all time for them to get to these two guys. So yeah, for if there's sure. a movie with them as the leads, then... And I think Redford could even be in the conversation for director. He's got a lot of... Yeah, that too. To his name and, you know, the quiz show. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Uh, two months in a row. Two yep. episodes in a row with him. Uh, no, quiz show was January. This is March. We did Singing in the Rain and Arsenic and Old Lace last week. Don't listen to me. I don't prepare for this podcast. By the way, speaking of Singing in the Rain, uh, Dicer made sure to correct me on my the thing about the songbook and Singing in the Rain. He says, the thing, is, the thing with the music and Singing in the Rain is they took the songbook of a popular composer of the time that they were completely unrelated and created a plot around them. So it's like um, the Mamma Mia movies. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's do it. Uh, Robert, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, did you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? Uh, high side of okay. All right. I am on or, the low side of like it. Or low side of like it. Oh. Yeah. There you go. I think we're pretty close. L- let me tell you first, though, I loved the first hour of this movie. And then okay. it took a huge dip as soon as, they went to Bo- as soon as they decided to go to Bolivia. And then there's that montage that pretty much splits this into two movies. And I really didn't care about anything or wasn't really engaged in anything in Bolivia except for the shootout at the end. So I was in loved this camp for the majority of this movie. And I was just like, nope, losing interest, losing it fast. And we're down to like it. And we're gone. Yeah. We're barely in like it. So, but that's where I'm going to land. I think I gave this a three and a half out of five. I gave it a three. Okay. It sounds like we're, we're right about the same. Sure, but do do you have that experience where like you preferred one act over the other, or were you just kind of never high or low on it? Uh, yeah, I was kind of just neutral to slightly higher than lower on it the whole way through. Okay, how long was that? You know, they were being pursued by the faceless mob for uh-huh. felt like half an hour, and just kind of kept going and going for me. I think it's about I think it's about the hour fifteen minute mark that they decide to go to Bolivia, and it's an hour and fifty long. Yeah, I never loved it. I never hated it. It's just kind of like, all right, this is just going. This is just going. I think any enjoyment came from the chemistry and the the humor for me. Yeah, um, because yeah, I thought sure. the, the the humor was really good. I, I wish I had been writing down lines all the way through because I did I did reference one of them at the beginning with the fat-headed whatever or whatever yeah. it was but yeah this is another one where i could have mentioned a lot of lines especially in that last scene you know they're resigned to we have a hundred guys on us and as soon as we walk out the door we're dead yeah uh, but they're still quipping they're and about going, going back to australia because yeah the, ba- yeah the banks are lavish and overflowing and they're like well how's the English. women how's the women well where, where there's banks that are lavish there are women that yeah. are lavish no, but I, I actually, I'm not trying to suck up to my boss, but I did just want to reference Aaron Dicer's review of this because he uh, he reviewed it fairly recently. Yeah. On on 
letterbox that is. He said, I'm not immune to a credible charm and chemistry of Redford and Newman, and it's on display here in full force with a gravity that almost made me forget that there really isn't much underneath that. That, in addition to the irksome bad guys, but aren't they adorable, means I'll like this one less than most, but so be it. That's pretty much how I felt. We could talk about this towards the end of our conversation on this movie, but like, are they even anti-heroes or are they just bad guys? Gosh, that's such an interesting question. Like, do you want to save that until we get to get through the no, rest of our? No, let's just do it now because I already said they're protagonists, but they're definitely not heroes. They're protagonists in the sense that they're the main characters. Yeah, 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 and and I even think we want to root for them, but I mean, you could label them as Byronic heroes since they die at the end. Although they don't die nobly; they die because the law finally catches up to them. Right. Um, I think that also doesn't make them a tragic hero. No. Gosh, I, I don't know that they're an anti-hero necessarily because like they, they don't seek out to do good. They're just selfish. Yeah, what good do they do? Not, none. I, so, it's not like Robin Hood or anything like that. We watched Cool Hand Luke in, when I was in film lit class, and they said, I want you to write a paper to type uh, describing what type of hero Luke is. And they, tragic hero, Byronic hero, anti-hero, they give like four or five different options. I wrote a paper saying he's not a hero. He's a criminal. Mm. And he yeah. does nothing for the good of the common people. I mean, he does some small things for the good of the common people in the short term, but he's just a jerk the whole time. Like, if you take yourself out of the fact that you love this character and you you really you know you like him, if you take him outside that fact, no, he's not a hero. And I think the same applies for these two characters in this movie that they are not heroes. Somebody might call them tragic heroes since they die at the end. Somebody could call them byronic heroes since or since they suffer tragedy. Somebody could call them byronic heroes since they die at the end. Somebody could call them antiheroes because they're likable heroes. But I don't think any of those definitions is accurate. I lighthearted villains, right? Having charisma and being lighthearted doesn't inherently mean that you're an anti-hero or that there's some good to you because bear with me. This is going to be a weird comparison, but you could even say the Joker in some iterations, you enjoy watching him. Yeah. Um, but you never I call mean, that's him an kind anti-hero of the, appeal of the character. That's why he's in every Batman movie that there's ever been. Right. Exactly. And apart from the movie Joker, you don't want him as the main character. So that's the difference between him and these characters, but I don't think they're really any different. Like they don't kill people who don't deserve it. Well, the law enforcement may not deserve it in that situation, but the only people that they kill are like the law enforcement and the people chasing them. It's not like they're going into bank- banks and shooting right. the people in there, right. but they're still making their living by robbing banks and yep. being well, with and, a, ban- a band of And they even of make a mention like that, uh, that when he says he never has any money and it's like, well, cause I heard you're a terrible gambler and you spend it all on booze and women and you take lavish vacations. It's like, yeah, that probably yeah. plays into it, and it's like, it, you know, it's spelled out right there. Like he's not like a he's not like a Robin Hood kind where he's giving back to the no. people, or he's giving to the poor and needy, or he's giving to all the charity. You know, because even like Hell or High Water, I would say that Chris Pine is for sure an anti-hero because his his his, his he's only robbing the banks for for the good of mm-hmm. trying to pay back this loan where the bank kind of screwed him over anyway. So like he, he is and a trying hero. to make a better life for his kids so that they don't have to do the same thing that he does. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's a hero and like, I'm not condoning bank robbery, right? No, 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 I don't. But, he, but he's a hero in that story, but he has good intentions. He has good means. He, he doesn't spend his money on himself. Right. So. Right. And that's, that's exactly what these two do. Yeah. Did you happen to read Reed's, um post on this he did one of his 20th century flicks no because i wanted to save it because i knew i was watching it just around the corner yeah so i i read it after i watched it 
And I like one of the points that he made about the faceless mob is being the inescapable law and order coming for mm-hmm. them. Where And then he, he goes on to talk about how he can relate to that because something about the world eventually catches up to everyone. And I, I don't disagree with that. I just don't think it it shows that they're heroes or anti-heroes. Um, I just think they're villains who are charismatic and they're the protagonists of the story. Can I tell you like probably my second favorite part of this movie and it's all hindering, hindering on, do we ever find out who the, the people chasing them are? No, I don't think so. Okay. Neither, cause because neither did I, because they're not at the end uh, in Bolivia. Right. Um, they said it's not whatever his name is. I can't remember it, but the guy with the hat, the, the guy with the white straw hat. Yeah. My favorite thing about the my second favorite thing about the movie, the first is the chemistry that these two have and how much fun they look mm-hmm. like they're having and how I'm enjoying their conversations and their the way they relate to one another. But that's my second favorite thing about this uh, this movie is that the fact that that is an inescapable inescapable threat, but they're always far enough away that I don't think any of these people have names um, and their faces because they're meant to represent all of their past finally catching up to them. Like you were literally right. just saying. That, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're asking like, oh, the, but that guy's from Oklahoma and I don't know where we're at, but it ain't Oklahoma. And it's like, but metaphorically, it is that guy. And it is all the other people you screwed over. It's the guy. It's the, it's the really funny guy in the train car, Mr. Woodcock, that they screw over twice. Like, yeah, it, 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 it this is him. This is uh, um, the sheriff of the town that's trying to persuade people. And then the bicycle man takes them all over, you know, like this is all these people that, and all the pe- all the countless people that we hear that, you know, either hear of off screen or we just assume that they screwed over, like, you know, because they're outlaws and they're up in age too, uh, especially for outlaws, you know, like, so I wasn't expecting this movie to be as funny or as lighthearted as it was. And so mm-hmm. it really caught me off guard when I realized that at the end of the movie, because like, oh, they didn't, this wasn't like they came around at the end and execute, you know, they were, they were wounded and about to die. And the guy with the white straw hat comes up and kills them execution style or anything like that. Like there wasn't anything that's like, oh, okay. And then I and thought about it more. It's like, oh, so these are generalized specifically meant to be metaphors. And so mm-hmm. I think that adds a lot of value. And I didn't expect something that deep for something that is so lighthearted and fun. And so. well, that's probably why it has a reputation. It does, right? Because it's yes. so lighthearted and fun, and the the characters and actors are so great. Um, yes, but it also has meaningful, legitimate things to say about the world. Maybe well, through and- our conversation, I am going up to maybe three and a half, because like I appreciate everything that went into it, but it's just it felt too long to me. I didn't appreciate the uh, the montages, and there was some points were just dragged for me but yeah i think you're about to make a different point no that's just going to add on to this was such a weird experience because expecting to watch this you're like oh this is you know going to be essentially like a like a bonnie and clyde type of thing like this is going to be a relatively serious story about them being outlaws and all that and then i watched the trailer and i was like oh this looks like it's going to be a straight-up comedy and then the movie Mm -hmm. starts it's like no this is really more like a western that has occasional funny quips in it but then it's like no, no, this is really meant to be a lot of different things. Cause like the scene where they have to jump off the waterfall, like it's comedy, it's thriller, it's horror, it's action adventure, it's lots of things. And so yeah. it, it was such an experience watching this. It's like, oh, I don't I don't really know what it is, but like I don't think it didn't have a vision. Like I think it knew what it wanted to be and it did it well. Mm-hmm. It it just wanted to be a lot of things, and I didn't feel overburdened by it at all. Yeah. Except for maybe yeah. the montages. 
when it decided right. it wanted to be Rocky Four 20 years before Rocky Four came out. Can't believe it's ripping off a movie <laughs> younger than it. No. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with everything you were saying. It's just maybe in hindsight it's better, but at the same time, I don't really feel like sitting down to watch it again for anything other than remembering the funny lines that I missed because like, I appreciate what the story's saying and I like the metaphor and everything in the theme, but yeah. The story just doesn't grab me enough. I would go back to this before I would go back to Unforgiven, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, anything like that. Well, definitely before Unforgiven for me. I don't really like that movie. Yeah. I I would go back to this before I'd go back to any any Western that took place or any Western that was filmed like before. Because I I love 310 to Yuma, the James Mangold version, and I love True Grit, the Coen Brothers version. Um, And I would still watch those two over um, Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid. But I'd, I'd pick it over any other like older Western I've seen. Yeah, I can't think of many older Westerns off the top of my head. I would put well, like but, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly all, over it. I would put it above The Searchers. Well, but I mean, all that being said, like, remember, I'm not a, a Western person at all. I'm very yeah. rarely going to choose to watch a Western. And again, if it is, I'm probably picking 310 to Yuma or True Grit. So, you know, Somehow I, that's one of the only Coen brothers I just can't get into. Mm. But that's a different conversation. I also don't super understand like the kind of transitions that they do with color and style throughout i think it's just a style thing i know and like i just i I just couldn't wrap my head around why and i mean i guess that's fine because like i really appreciated the intro credits how it was almost like we were sitting in an old-timey movie theater because like the projector Mm -hmm. was loud it was a silent film it was kind of giving us some backstory but then it moves to that first scene where it's in that like really odd orangey tingy filter that makes it feel like a western like an old timey western, it's like, oh, okay, this is the this is the type we're going for. Like, I could get behind if this is the color aesthetic for the whole time. And then it's like, you know, and then it gets into the rest of the movie, and it's like just straight up filmed with a normal colorized camera with no filter on. It. It's like, but why? And then like during the montages, it's all weird. Like, I, I I had a hard time finding any sort of consistency. No, I I agree with having trouble finding consistency. I think the point of it is just to make you feel like it's one of those older movies while also being modern i don't know maybe there's uh film scholars who know this better than i'm sure there's film scholars who know this better than us yeah um i have two more notes what do you got yeah my last note is just that i listened to the watch a ringer podcast um with ethan hawk he was on he was on one of their episodes recently and i listened to it and i didn't think i was gonna get butch cassidy and sundance kid spoilers while listening to that but uh-huh. they're talking about story and film and ethan hawk Mentioned that at the end of the Butch Cassidy, both of them die. And I was like, well, I'm watching this in a week. Thanks a lot, Ethan <laughs> Hawk. That's my last. It's just a little anecdote about how I've went, I've gone my whole life without having this movie spoiled. But then when I'm finally going to watch it, I have it spoiled a week before. I'm pretty sure I knew. And like when it was setting it up, I was like, oh, yeah, I've definitely like seen this referenced or knew this is how it ended. But I was just more like you make a movie about outlaws in the Wild West and nine times out of ten, they're going to die at the end. Yeah, my last, uh, I have three notes, actually, I guess. One is that um, I was really scared that this movie was, I was going to really wind up hating this movie because the scene that you and I were talking about before it started, but uh, where we're introduced to the Catherine Ross character. Yeah. And like, I was really afraid, like, oh, he's about to rape this woman. But then it turns out to just be this joke, this interplay between them, which, by the way, like, I get when movies do that, but this was nowhere near like feeling playful like they definitely wanted you to think oh this guy's a bad guy and he's about to rape this woman 
Like nowhere yeah. I was like, oh, they might be like good friends or they might be like lovers and role playing and whatnot. Nope. No, it didn't feel like that. But anyway, I was just like, I would have had a hard time moving on if it didn't end the way that it was that it did. So, yeah. I had the same exact thought because yeah. I was like, oh, you don't want to do this trope in a yep. sexual assault kind of way. Yep. But then it's, and I, I was happy about it because, uh, man, I, I have fuzziness of another example in my head, but I can't think of the exact example, but mm-hmm. you've seen that a million times. There's like two characters go up, like they're about to fight or something like that. It turns yeah. out they're just joking and they're old best friends. But when you're setting it up, like he's about to, you know, force himself onto her unwillingly. That's, I was very uncomfortable and then no longer uncomfortable, but kind of, did you really have to do it that way? Yep. I think the other, I think the other two notes are just two things that I'd really admire, really admire about this movie. And the first is um, this, the music I think is really great. It's got some Western vibes, but it's also got like a fun kind of lighthearted vibe, which really fits the tone of the movie. I, I really like the mu- the music in this movie. I, I really think it's deserving of that uh, best sound, uh, best score or the best score Oscar. I feel like I, and probably going to listen to it and add it to my like instrumental playlist on Spotify that way. Cause I feel like that's something I would just want to listen to in the background. It's, it's light and it's mm-hmm. fun. And I mean, most of, most of that is dark and brooding, but <laughs> most of that playlist is dark and brooding, but it's, it's fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, and I think that's definitely worth saying. And also, you know, the raindrops keep falling in my head. Of course, Spider-Man two is going to pop in my head. So I haven't seen Spider-Man two in forever. I don't even remember it being in there. It's the sequence where Peter gives up being Spider-Man and he's like walking down the street and like everybody hates him because he lives in New York and he's not Spider-Man. And uh, but like people don't know that, but he's just like any other New Yorker. And so the raindrops keep falling on my head. Well, I think I said the same thing when you and I did the bonus review for uh, Judas and the Black Messiah Mm -hmm. that I was too into what was happening to notice the score. And I think it's the same thing here. Where I I don't really remember the score, but it's different. I wasn't into the story the same way I was with Judas, but for whatever reason, I just I remember the raindrops keep falling my head, but not not the rest of it. Yep. Uh, and the last note is I said the thing maybe I most admire about this movie is the sound mixing because this wasn't a movie that I needed to turn up to thirty when it was dialogue and turn down to six when it was yeah. gunfights and turn up to sixteen when it was music. Like I didn't have to touch the volume dial at all. And uh, that's really remarkable for movies that have this much dialogue than gunfighting. And I mean, it wasn't like it's, you know, but like it just happens. Like, gosh, when I watch the Godfather, you it, you have to turn it up to 60. And then as soon as somebody fires a gun or it starts to get loud, you have to turn it down to like four. And it's right. Gosh, I want a 4k restoration of that trilogy so bad, but primarily just so we can get a better sound leveling. I don't want to preserve the original integrity of the movie. I want to not blow out my TV speakers. Yeah. That was my last note. Add it to your goat collection, criterion collection that we're making up. I'm going to say no, but it's, it's on the borderline because if we're making, if we're making our own criterion, I already put the West, a Western in there with good, the bad and the ugly. And yeah, this just didn't really do that much for me. So no. Okay. I don't think I put the good, the bad, and the ugly in there. Um, but I'm also gonna say I'm gonna say a respectable no. I'm gonna yeah, say yeah, that's like a good way a, to put it. Yeah, I'm gonna say like a, like I I would not consider this the greatest of all time, but I do I, I do think I can understand why somebody else would consider this. Um, and look, frankly, in 1969, this might have been the coolest thing I ever saw. But like I said, the whole the whole Bolivia stretch just really. Um, I didn't care for it at all. 
and didn't really care what happened at that point on. So, you know, and I think, I think the movie tries to be either maybe subtle or not so subtle in a funny way about like telling them like the, you guys are going to die and you're going to die bloody. And then there's the, well, I'll go with you guys, but I won't be there when you die. I won't be in that scene. It's like, I I think they're maybe intentionally for comedic purposes, trying to be on the nose or. Yeah. So there's another two things that just came up actually. I know we're (laughs) concluding our conversation, but it's, doesn't paint South America in a very good picture in a very good no, light where it's no, it like doesn't. they think the whole country of Bolivia is just run down garbage basically. Yep. And then what is the point of the woman like the, his girlfriend? They want uh, like I mean, story wise. I mean, story wise. So there's a character that they can have a little bit of fun with. But story wise, the reason that they bring her to Bolivia is because she says she doesn't really have much going on for her in the States and she has the most excitement when she's with them. So she'll follow them. But also, um, it would help their cover if they had a woman with them while they were traveling. That's true. Okay, that's fair. Forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. Those okay. Thoughts. So, so we've we've both said, look, a respectable no uh, for our Criterion Collection. If I'm assembling it, I'm not putting it in there again, respectfully. But I, I I'm not gonna say I won't ever watch this again, and I'm not saying you shouldn't watch this. Kind of where I land on that. What about you? Would you? You said you probably don't see yourself watching this again. I, I would watch it again at some point because and I would also recommend it to certain people just because some people want to turn off their brains and enjoy an older movie. Yeah. Um, not turn off your brain, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. not have to be like too challenged because this is, it definitely has its entertaining moments. Yeah. Because like um, if you're watching Citizen Kane to compare it to something else that we've watched or it's like, that's not one you're going to throw on just because. Hey, I'm in the mood for Citizen Kane tonight. I I just want to watch something comforting. You know, like Butch Cassidy ends on a sad note, but it's got your your entertainment value. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's uh let's move on. Let's start talking about the conversation. This is a 1974 movie. This is streaming on Showtime. You can catch it there. Synopsis for this movie is a paranoid secret, uh, secretive surveillance expert has a crisis of conscience when he suspects that a couple he's spying on will be murdered. This has a 7.8 on IMDb, an 85 on Metacritic, and a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. This premiered at Cannes Film Festival and was awarded highest honor, so best movie of that year um, to premiere at Cannes. Uh, Let's see, this was nominated but didn't win any Oscars. This was nominated for Best uh, Sound, Best Screenplay, and Best Picture. It should be noted, this lost to The Godfather 2, also a Coppola movie. So kind of remarkable that it came out with this and The Godfather 2 in the same year. Wow. Especially because I don't think Godfather and Godfather 2 were that far apart. Two years. Okay. Yeah, so that's remarkable. So yeah, it lost to Godfather Part 2, so that's some that's some pretty high praise. Definitely a great stretch for Coppola. But uh, to, to be nominated for two films for Best Picture in a single year, that's like Spielberg level right there. So, yep. uh, One Best Film, Best Director, and Best Actor at the National Board of Review in 1974. This is selected in the National Film Registry in 1995, which is a great year because that's the year I was born. So, you know. This is uh, 33rd on BBC's list of 100 Greatest American Films, which is voted by film critics around the world. And uh, it also should be noted that a TV pilot was produced about this movie for NBC, but it wasn't picked up. I've heard about this movie a little bit. Um, More so recently, I thought it was something completely different than it actually was. Uh, But I never heard anybody say anything less than this is a great movie. So I was excited to watch it and... I was going to watch it whether we talked about it on the podcast or not. Just it was a matter of when. 
Yeah, I was I was just looking it up. I was I thought it would have been cool if Coppola uh, was nominated twice for Best Director, but nope, oh, just for Godfather. Sorry. Just for Godfather. Yeah, my history, I've actually seen this one before probably five years ago. I wasn't a freshman when I took it, but it was like the first year film class, like intro to film at my college. I saw it then, and I thought, hey, this is really good. Older movies can be good, and that's why I suggested it for this for this podcast yeah cool. but i was like you or it was like conversation never heard of this mm-hmm. and then it was like oh francis ford copeland godfather yep. and i just wanted to mention also he had a nice awesome little run of godfather conversation godfather 2 apocalypse now like yep. that's one of the better four movie runs you're, you're gonna see yeah and then you know not much else with the rest of his career no but yeah but that's why like all of his movies came within like all of his good movies came within like seven years right so i mean just that's that i mean that's absolutely insane to me that 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 happened the way it did and but i but but the the weird thing is those four movies alone would be enough for most people to say he's a goat director exactly yeah uh, I mean, so there there are people that like Godfather three out there, Bram Stoker's Dracula, so like we shouldn't necessarily like yeah just chalk that up. But like, I'm not one of those. Uh, oh, he did The Outsiders. Okay, I like The Outsiders. He and he did that in '83, so four years after Apocalypse Now. So okay, I like The Outsiders. I think that's that's also a good one. So between Godfather, Godfather two, Conversation, Apocalypse Now, and Outsiders, so he's got five good movies in 10, 11 years and. Five that I would say I really like, and then really, think, really not much else. Oh, so. I think those are the only ones I've seen, plus The Rainmaker, which is fine. <laughs> well, uh, you like it, I hate it, just like it, think it's just okay. Uh, I like it. Just, okay. I, I like it. I didn't like it as much as I did the first time this time, but I think okay. that might have been because I knew the story. I'm going to say I like it with an asterisk. Okay, um, why? Because I I do think I like this movie. And honestly, I don't know that I would have been propelled into loved it. But I think I'd heard this movie was great. And I was like, cool, I'm in for whatever it is. And then I watched the trailer trying to show my wife. Because again, hey, do you want to watch this with me? And she always wants to watch a trailer first. So I watched the trailer. And I expected a totally different movie. And Mm. I was upset that the movie that I was expecting is not the movie that I got. So So what were you expecting? So if you watch the trailer... It shows the um, the Harrison Ford clip that is relatively early on in the movie of him kind of being a threatening presence. It shows like uh, some of the more like fast paced parts of this movie. Um, and even the end of the trailer is the end of this movie where he's ripping up the floorboards in his house. I know. Right. So, so I was expect- an amazing Spider-Man too. I was right. I was expecting this to be a political thriller. That was one of those. I, I almost expected this to be kind of like blowout. Have you seen mm-hmm. blowout? No. Okay, I, I was expecting this to really be more like uh, essentially like he overhears something that he probably shouldn't have, and then you know all then of a sudden after. it becomes this tense political thriller kind of thing for yeah. the next hour and a half, and you know, and so I was expecting the him tearing up the floorboards to happen probably twenty thirty minutes in this movie, and uh, the, I I really think that the trailer ruined that it really put it to like it for me as opposed to potentially being in the loved it. I I. I do think I probably still would have remained and liked it. I don't know that I'd have quite gotten to loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have reasons for that. So uh, the things that I really love about this movie are Hackman's excellent. Um, I really like Harrison Ford in this kind of role. I think it's, I think it's fun to see him be the, the sinister manipulator yeah, or at least messenger. Um, I think the screenplay is pretty great. 
Um, I, I really like the dialogue in this movie. Um, and I and I really think that uh, these are fully realized characters. That's kind of uh, just where I want to start. I feel like all these characters feel like real people. Um, and so props to the screenplay and uh, Coppola and all the actors for that. So, I mean, just, just to get the obvious out of the way for me. Uh, but where do you want to start, Robert? Yeah, I'll go off that a little bit. I love the irony of Harry because he's an immensely private man whose whole job is stealing conversations, basically. And I think the reason he is so private uh, is because he knows what can be done when the wrong people are listening. I just like that dichotomy there. And it makes for the entire theme of the movie, you know, where it's it's just kind of technology paranoia, you know, mm-hmm. where the the one dude gives him the, the pen in his pocket. He doesn't think anything of it. But then he knows later on, as soon as he has an intimate conversation with a woman or as intimate as he gets, basically the whole thing is being listened to and everyone's making light of it. They're like, ah, listen, we got you on tape here. That's um, the best part of the movie, right? That scene. Maybe. I don't, I don't know if I have a best part of the movie off the top of my head. I mean, but look, the, it's the a good, ending it's a great is, scene, yeah. the ending is excellent. And it's the only one to me that holds, uh, holds any sort of comparable status to it. I think that scene is finally where the movie came together for me. Hmm. Um, I so. think it's steady for me where it's just like uh, sustains okay. a good quality. I didn't really know because I watched the trailer. I was like, and we get 20 minutes in the movie. I'm like, okay, so this really isn't what I expected it to be. Right. So what is this movie? And I don't really think I figured out what this movie was until that scene, mm. because the scene after, you know, he, he, uh, he goes to bed with the woman and he's either telling her in confession, like in a confession manner, or he's, like saying it in his sleep or something, but he's, he's talking about how one of his gigs, I think we're to assume the reason why he left New York and went to San Francisco is because he wound up getting somebody killed. Yeah. Um, So I I think, I don't know that they directly say that's why he left New York, but I think we're supposed to believe that's why he left the East coast Uh, is. Oh, in confession when he's, when he's at church uh, doing his confession, he says he's gotten someone hurt or killed before. Well, but he even tells, he tells the woman in that scene and as they're in bed. Um, So it probably happened several times to kind of hammer the point home. But, but yeah, I think, uh, I think that was the scene where we really realized like, oh, this is really meant to be somebody's moral struggle with technology and, and what his work is used for, you know, where he's, his job is to deliver the product, but he's sensing some malice and he's having a moral religious battle on is this if this is intended for malice, it could lead to murder, and if it's not, then you know I get in really bad. Like I don't like you. You can see him struggle with that, and you can see him struggle on how he wants to proceed. And I mean that is this movie, and and I really wound up uh, admiring that once I really realized what the movie is. Um, I just think maybe for me it took a little bit too long to get there. No, yeah, I I agree. That's why I'm in like it because it does kind of go slowly and kind of drags you along for a little bit being like, what is this? What's going on? But I, I like the way that it wraps up and the way that it brings its theme together. The first time I saw this was a screening where the professor wasn't there because it was for a college class. He had one of his like student helpers screen the, the movie for the rest of his class. And at the beginning when like the sound distortion is going in and out and all that, mm-hmm. Everyone was confused and thought that something was wrong with the speakers. <laughs> yeah, I, I I thought that was a fun little story that 
that came oh. back to my mind when I was watching this. I was like, oh yeah. I bet you there was signs posted at the movie theater. Cause like when I went to see the last Jedi, last Jedi, it says there's a moment here about an hour and 42 minutes in the movie where the sound sound goes out. Don't yeah. worry. Everything it's is working. <laughs> yeah. No. Go ahead. To me, to me, it felt like until that moment, until that scene where there's the pen in the pocket and, and you mm-hmm. see him kind of freak out and, and he, you know, spends the night at his warehouse with the lady. Like to me up until that, I, I felt like the movie lacked direction and like in hindsight, I don't know that I think that now, but it felt in the moment, like, I don't know where this movie is going. And I don't know if the director knows where this movie is going. I think I'm pretty sure Gene Hackman had called this his favorite movie. And so had Coppola. Like, out of their filmographies, I'm pretty sure both of them said this is their favorite. Coppola, like, too. That's surprising. Right. Because, like, it should be The Godfather, too. Um, well, The Godfather for me. But, yeah. Okay. Well, it should be one of those two. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. To me, it just felt like this movie was lacking direction um, for the first roughly 80 minutes. And I think maybe that's kind of also bleeds into, like, the... Well, it does a good job of being, like, a mystery thriller at that point, right? Kind of. Not really. <laughs> Not not thriller in like I don't know the departed type of sense. Um, I wasn't but like so so the first like roughly eighty minutes of this movie. I wasn't sitting there wondering what is this guy thinking or what is he going to do in response to what he's learned or anything like that. It's more so just like where's this going? Why does this movie exist? Yeah, like what's the point? <laughs> this feels like a day in the life of a surveillance tech, and it kind of is. But it, does, it really does end up having a point. Um, and yes. I do like the yes. twist at the end, you know, that the couple is actually planning a murder. Yeah. And they're not, they're not being like about to be murdered. Um, yeah. And all right, maybe I take back the best scene in the movie because the scene where he looks around the apartment afterwards is, is definitely the best scene in the movie for me. Um, where he's, you know, where he's, he's in the room next door his... and he, and he breaks into the other one and he, you know, he looks at the curtains and he looks at the place where he thought he saw blood spatter and he looks in the tub and eventually he looks in the toilet and then he flushes and then like, gosh, what a tense sequence, especially because you're like, I don't know what's going on. Right. So I'm figuring this out as he is. And so like, you're like, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't. And it's like, oh, it was nothing. Okay. It's like, don't, don't, don't flush, don't flush the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, why did that be the thing? Oh, but yeah. Yeah. I really liked that twist too. I thought that was a really because it, it even like ties into that moral complexity that he was dealing with you know oh right yeah if if he turns in the tapes is that still the outcome or his turning into the tapes was not the thing that caused gosh what's the character what's the actor robert duvall character to die mm-hmm. it was not his fault at all actually he might have even assisted in it because well, he gave him the time and place right i think harry gene hackman's involvement at all means that someone's going to die you know, because yeah. if he gives a if he gives the tapes over to Robert Duvall and Harrison Ford, then the couple dies. But he took the tapes back, and that means Robert Duvall dies. Yeah, I, yeah so I guess it's it's just a larger point about surveillance, right? And yeah. about technology and lack of privacy, and about listening into other people. Okay, um, I have two more like positive, two more negative situation. Yeah. yeah, it is a lose-lose situation. Uh, two more positives, two, two more negatives. What do you want to hear first? Since I only have one more positive and nothing else, let's hear your negatives. Okay, uh, this feels like half a movie. Um, <laughs> Why? 
again, maybe because the way that the trailer was set up, but I, I feel like, I feel like it, this doesn't justify its hour 50 runtime to get to where we are hmm. uh, by the end of the movie. I feel like it could have been done earlier or more concisely or maybe a little bit more clearly even, but it almost feels like this is the, here's the conflict our character has been given. Now what? So you want to see what happens after he tears up the apartment? Yes, but also like I get that that was never the intention of the movie. I feel like the way that it played out, and it kind of ties into my other negative. The original pitch for this movie was a horror movie starring Marlon Brando, and I'd much rather see that. I mean, like maybe not the Brando part, but the original pitch for this movie was a horror movie, and I would much rather see that. I wonder how it would have leaned into horror because there's definitely horror or psychological horror elements at least in this yeah that, that's what i think this would have been more like a psychological horror and you know I, I i i think the movie wanted to end in a psychological horror way but i don't know that the lead up to it i think it started a psychological horror the day uh, when he decides to take the tapes to duval but sure. up until then it wasn't really much of anything and so it kind of came out of left field when it wound up being psychological horror whereas if it's the whole movie i, I believe that i believe that more um, and I, I feel that more. That's fair. Um, and I mean, simply the the two positives I have, one of them we talked about a lot. I think the ending of this movie is brilliant. So again, mm-hmm. I said this feels like a half, half movie, but this is for sure one of the all-time best movie endings for me. Especially Gosh. with the, or not especially with, but I also like the added touch of like the religious themes that you hit on earlier where he doesn't want to break the, the Mary statue. Um, or is right. it Jesus? No, one of Mary. them. Yeah, He's the Catholic. Mary statue. Mary. No, but it it does a good job of tying in that theme, and um, it's like the last thing that he does before he officially tears apart the wall and the floors. Um, yeah, it's just like his last. Well, and he even like thing. tears apart some of the other statues, and then put, like pits one. up Mary, and then puts her back down, and like yeah, yeah. Apparently, there's some theories as to what where the wire actually was, uh, but nobody's ever confirmed any of them. They've said the saxophone strap, and. Um, something else i just took because there was some some sort of motion that happened i just figured there was a small enough thing that they put on the rim of his glasses Um, that's Mm. what i thought because there was like a motion where somebody like grabs the rim of his glasses like in a montage as he's as he's ripping apart his apartment but but yeah i think the ending's excellent and my just my last note is that i love the score for this movie too yeah that was gonna be my last note where this is one where i definitely i definitely uh heard the score because it, it comes in early before yeah. like anything's really happening. You hear that like eerie piano score and it's, it's really good. And I couldn't find it on Spotify. I was annoyed. Oh, sad. Cause I could definitely see myself popping on this one too. I really loved mm-hmm. it. Uh, all right. Uh, would you, would, would you call this one a goat? Yeah, because the way uh, the reason it was taught um, when it was in my film classes to teach us about the use of sound in movies. And I, I think that that idea holds up. And I would definitely, um, apart from just like the filmmaking technique, it's got good themes, good acting and all that. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say yes to, um, and again, even though I've kind of said some things that I don't love about it again, I think it's my expectations going into it because I saw the trailer because I'm dumb, but, uh, (laughs) but I, 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 I'm going to say like a a lower, yes, like a, like, Right. You know, maybe if you ask me after I watch it again, knowing what this movie is, maybe it would go down to a respectable no. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say sure. Mm-hmm. So next uh, next month we're gonna be talking about the Untouchables and the Sting. So that should be a 
a pretty fun time. Uh, man, Paul Newman again. <laughs> yeah, for um, some reason I kept thinking it was The Untouchables, but it's... Wait, no. The Untouchables, is that That's Oscar the, Connery De Niro? Yes. Uh, yeah, we're not doing the French Omar Sy movie. We're doing The Untouchables, the Costner, De Niro, Connery. Uh, second Connery movie we'll be doing. Um, yeah. Elliot Ness, movie. Al Capone movie. Yep. And The Sting, the Paul, Paul Newman, Robert Redford. <laughs> oh, that's um, where Paul Newman is in The Sting. That's why I was confused. Yeah. 1973. So, yeah. Paul Newman, Robert Redford. Teaming um, back up. George, George Roy Hill, same director as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So. I'm I'm a little bit more excited to see this movie now. So, yeah. man, we should have just planned these two, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sting, to be together. I know, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, well. whatever, we'll just get a chance to talk about it, and maybe we'll have some more takeaways from Butch Cassidy and the Sting. But anyway, has uh, has have any either of these movies dethroned Arsenic and Old Lace, or have you had a change in mind? Is that still your favorite goat we've ever done? Yeah, yeah, I'm still. Yeah, with these LA two are probably in the bottom half. These two are like right about the middle for me. Yeah. Uh, yep, still LA Confidential is my favorite. So, so let's move on to the B plot then, Robert. I'm really excited about this B plot. Um, as I told you, I thought about this question a while ago, and I put it out on Twitter. Um, and so I've had some more time to think about it than you, I think, unless you saw it on Twitter. But, um, I'm curious. Let's talk. Let's come up with some movies. They have to have a writer director combo, so it has to be you know like written and directed by. But we have. But you're going to change the director, so it has to have the same screenplay, still written by whoever. Um, but you cannot have the writer be that that movie's director anymore. Um, so what are some interesting things that you want to see? What are some interesting pairings? And it should be noted that writer-director pairs like Phil Lord and Chris Miller and the Coen brothers still count. Um, it doesn't have to be a singular person being a writer-director. So, yeah, I, I told you I kind of have five and a half or six and a half. But one of them is more so a joke than it is... I actually kind of want to then then actually I want to see it. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off there. Um, we're gonna get in our obligatory reference for you. Um, Shane Black's Paddington Two. Shane Black's what? <laughs> like I kind of don't want to see it, but I kind of do, <laughs> just because no. I love his sense of humor and I love the way the way that he moves the camera and. But his sense of humor isn't innocent. Look, look, Paddington Two would not be an innocent movie anymore. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> Fine. In that case, you could have Colin Firth. Did you see? I saw recently Colin Firth recorded all of his lines as Paddington. I saw you recast him because he was too old. Yeah. Yeah, So take back Colin Firth and make Paddington darker. Ben Wishaw is just too innocent to be. (laughs) Well, but then you said that they have to make him the villain of Paddington Three. Then and yeah, yeah, Yeah. they do. That's that's the natural order. Yeah. So all right. So now that I've got my my one that is actually kind of like a what if. Um, I actually really, really am proud of the rest of mine. Um, well, I have one. You, what if, if you want, go do the one. What if? Yeah, sure. I, I just wish it would have been uh, Ryan Johnson doing episode nine. Even with that screenplay, I'm sure it would have been better. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely not going to disagree with you at any point. But let's go ahead. Like, horrible. let's just give Ryan Johnson all three of them. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, or Trevoro's episode. I know. Yes. Anyway, all right. Uh, do you want to start? Or do you want me to start? uh you start um all right i'm gonna go ahead and start off with this is the one that i have i have kind of an alternate um and so i'll let you decide the definitive one but we are going with uh we're gonna do interstellar nope i'm out already but hear me out okay alfonso coron's interstellar nope 
What about Peter Jackson's Interstellar? Peter Jackson? No, I feel like it would be immensely worse with Peter Jackson. <laughs> Quaron maybe could rein it in a little bit, even though I already think Interstellar is perfect. But I think, and you know I love Peter Jackson. I think yeah. he would make it worse. Um, did you know, though, Spielberg was originally supposed to direct Interstellar? I didn't know that. Because um, it was supposed to come out a while ago off of Jonathan Nolan's screenplay. Right. But then, of course, Christopher made it so much yep. different than it was originally going to be. Yep. All right. Well, I but guess I'm, I have one bad pick at the start. So. Well, it's it's just because I love Interstellar so much exactly I, the way it is. So that's the thing about these is for most of these movies, I really like these movies. So mm-hmm. this isn't a I think this would necessarily improve it. It's just almost like a what would a Alfonso Cuarón. That's fair. Uh, Alfonso Cuarón's uh, Interstellar look like? What would Peter Jackson's look like? All but one of these movies. Uh, Three of these movies I love, uh, Interstellar being one of them. One of them I really like, and one of them I think is okay. Um, but has oh. the potential to be amazing. So typically, I think writer directors are pretty good, or we don't mm-hmm. hear about them. And it's just, this was such a specific thing. I was just like, all right, like, I just got to look at movies that have the same writer director. And yeah, I but, guess it's, I was... but it's also like, I don't know anybody besides Damien Chazelle that I want to do La La Land, period. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah, um, I was trying to fix movies more, so I have. Well, and and so you're better I, for that. Yeah, I have two that I like, one that I dislike, and two that I hate. Okay, so, yeah. I do think three of these would improve my movies. By the way, so the next one I'll give is one that I think is just could be just as excellent. Uh, but why don't you go first? Um, this this could be uh, the kind of thing that you were just talking about, where I already like the movie a lot, but it would be interesting to see what it would be, and mm-hmm. that's. Um, Fincher and Sorkin teaming back up. So Fincher is Molly's game. Oh, I really thought about this combo, actually. Really? It's because Fincher has worked with Sorkin in the past. But like, having recently watched Molly's game, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've only seen it once, um, and I like it a lot. And I think it would be similar to The Social Network, where Fincher could rein in Sorkin just a bit. I don't know. I think it would have just a little bit better of a directorial uh, style because it's really long and there's just like a lot of style and a lot of screenplay style happening. So maybe if you let Sorkin be Sorkin in the screenplay and let Fincher be Fincher with a direction. Sure. Um, Yeah. I also have Fincher elsewhere. So that's fun. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I thought about doing Molly's game, but I was just like, nah, I love the movie and Mm. I, I really don't know how you could direct that movie better. I mean, maybe maybe a little edited down would be fine. Maybe a little bit less. Some some parts of that mo- movie feel very um, thespian is probably the best way to say it. And but like sometimes intentionally, since you know the Crucible is a big part of that movie. So. Well, like the the last or not the last scene, but towards the end when she's talking to her dad on the bench, yeah. that's like very sentimental. And I don't think Fincher would make it, make it very sentimental at all. <laughs> Sure. Sure. All right. I will give you my other one that I think is, I love this movie. I love the director. I think I just am interested to see what this would do to it. The rest of them, I do think would improve the movies. Um, okay, we're going to have with, an open mind this time. Okay. We're going to go with James Mangold's war for the planet of the apes. Okay. See, that's so, another one where I could have shot it down right away, but I'm not going to, cause I think that's interesting. Yeah. So war for the planet Apes is my favorite of the trilogy. And I, so a lot of it, a lot of it stems from, that movie is heavily inspired from movies like the great escape um, and like prison encampment movies. And Mangold does special, I mean, he, he does a lot of thing, uh, things Western. Uh, I mean, he did it for V Ferrari too, which is stylized and like, he's 
doing the upcoming Indiana Jones. And so I think, uh, yeah, yeah. So like Logan, 310 to Yuma being pre- pretty Western. And uh, there was another one in there that I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But uh, anyway, I, I, I would just be interested to see James Mangold's War for the Planet of the Apes. I think it would have a little bit more. I mean, the movie, it, this is already pretty much a remake of The Great Escape, but I think it would lean a little bit more into that. But uh, yeah, I I would be very interested to see that. Sure. Yeah, not not bad. My next one is Richard Linklater's American Graffiti. Okay. American Graffiti I've... is a George Lucas movie. He did okay. it a few years before the first Star Wars. And it feels very similar to me to Days and Confused in that it's like people growing up, coming of age a bit in the 70s. And th- this is another one that's kind of just like, I like American Graffiti. So this is kind of, I wonder what it would be like, because I love Linklater movies a lot, especially Days and Confused and the before movies and Boyhood. So I feel like he could bring something to it that it doesn't have now. And not that it's bad now, but just like make it just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no opinion because I've not seen American Graffiti or I think a Link Later movie at all. So. Oh, okay. Have you seen School of Rock? Seems to be his movie. Oh yeah. Known. Okay. I guess I have then. I guess he's just probably more known for his artsy fartsy stuff. But... Right. That's his most mainstream. Yeah. No, I like School of Rock a lot. So. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna do a movie that I love, um, that I do think could be improved with this director change. We're gonna go with David Fincher's Unbreakable. Hmm. Interesting. Why? So this is a dark subject matter movie and it has the capacity to be incredibly dark. And I I almost want it to lean a little bit more dark in some of those moments. I also think there are a couple things in here that, I mean, look, this is the start of Shyamalan's career, but, and so there are a couple things that I think are just in general amateur things to do. And, And like, look for most amateurs, he's doing an excellent job. Um, so, like, de- I'm definitely not trying to say Shyamalan was not great in this and and that he shouldn't have been the director of this movie. I'm just saying, like, I wonder what it would have been like, you know, because this is right about the time that a couple years before, uh, let's see, Fincher had already done Seven at this point, and he hadn't quite done Zodiac. He's cl- it's close to Zodiac. It's kind of in the, in the in-between. So this is like this like secret window era, I think. I don't know. I just, I think I want it to take a little bit darker of a turn. And I think I want it to be a little bit more about the, the, you know, psychological ramifications and make it more of like lean into that psychological a little bit more. I think Fincher would be a great guy to do that. It would be coming on the heels of Fight Club, which was 99. Oh, Fight Club. Um, And I don't think Fincher would end this on a text on screen (laughs) like like Shyamalan does. That's my biggest problem with it. It's just like. That's one of the things I was alluding to with. My guess is he just didn't really know how to wrap it up any other way. Right. And and still maintain a decent runtime without sacrificing something else. So, mm-hmm. yeah. My next one is a movie I do not like because of the direction and that is <laughs> we I'm I'm going to save for this. This is Gavin O'Connor's Warrior. I don't like this movie because I think the direction is terrible. Okay. Mostly in the like the boxing scene or the UFC scenes. You can never see what's going on. It is way too overcut. And that's why I think Ryan Coogler is the perfect option for this movie. Um, like, I'm not going to be mad. Like, it's been it's been long enough for Warrior that I can't attest to or try to defend what you're saying. But I think that story is just so powerful. So Exactly, because the story is good enough um, and you have a good screenplay. But that's why I said the direction just drove me insane. 
if you get someone like Kugler who knows how to style it well and and do good character work like he does in Creed and like he does um, in Fruitvale Station, then I think this is going to be a much better movie. And I know I'm in the vast minority of disliking this movie. Um, most people can, like it a lot. Can I attempt to one-up you on this pick? Uh, yeah, why not? Regina King's Warrior. Regina King, like the, the director of One Night in Miami? Yeah. yeah. Because, I love the, uh, because I love the way that she films the boxing there. And she obviously can do emotion with her acting career and One Night in Miami. Uh, I'd be open to see both of these. Okay. Look, uh, like, Cooler's not a bad choice at all. And this movie came out, I think, before, yeah, definitely before Creed. So, like, yeah. you know, it's not even one of, like, I feel like uh, maybe Coogler was just a, like, we know he could do boxing movies. I, I, I don't know how much that actually influenced you, but. No, yeah, because of Creed, I was like, I know Coogler can do boxing. Um, yeah. And that's totally so valid. Creed it's was totally 2015 valid. and Warrior was 2011. So yeah, it came out. Before yeah, Creed. that's a thought about it. I was like, no, Creed came out a little bit later than I thought and it was. It was even before Fruitvale Station. So Coogler wasn't even really on the map yet. Sure. I, look, I love Warrior. It's in my top 100 of all time, but it's closer to like the 70s or 80s. So like, look, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, it's perfect and sure honestly cougar behind the cougar today behind the camera could definitely improve that movie so yeah yeah that's fine Uh, i'm good with that um all right here we go scott derrickson's us oh okay here's why i like us but i don't love us and i think a lot of that is is the ending i think just like a relationship conversation (laughs) so I think I think I think the ending gets um, gets a little bit too out there, um, mm. and look, I'm not. I, I I think Jordan Peele made exactly the movie he wanted to make, yeah. uh, but I also think that because Get Out was such a success, everybody was just like, "Look, you know better than everybody, so just yeah. do what you want to do." And look, I'm not in terms of social commentary. Yeah, and like I'm not I'm not trying to s- disparage us. I I think that it just kind of loses its way a little bit at the end and. In general, I mean, specifically from the work of Sinister, Derrickson can make the creepiest stuff you've ever seen. And so I'm just imagining the the home invasion scene, but like done in the way of Sinister. And Is that the gosh, Ethan Hawke one? Yeah, that's the Ethan Hawke one. And I've only seen um, Doctor Strange and Sinister by Derrickson. I haven't seen Exorcism or Emily Rose or The Day the Earth Stood Still. I think that would improve. Definitely the ending, I think, could be a little bit more thought out a little bit more leading a little bit more to there. But also I just think he does horror so incredibly well. And the way that he plays with light and sound are just remarkable. So cool. That's good. That's my pick. My next one is very recent movie as in like the last few weeks. And that's Matt Reeves's cherry. This is another one where I thought all of the problems, like even more so than warrior, all of the problems came from the direction. And I don't think the Russo brothers are bad directors. I just think they had so much pent up style within them that they, <laughs> that they couldn't do in the MCU movies that they just barfed it all out onto Cherry. And sure. I'm just like, man, this is too much. Matt Reeves can do tortured. Matt Reeves can do someone who is at the lowest of the lows. So I'm. He can do war movies. Yeah, he can do war movies. And I don't doubt that he could do something serious about addiction and treat it the right way. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, War for the Planet of the Apes is that kind of movie. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm basing this basically just off Planet of the Apes movies. Um, 
and I'd also be surprised if he doesn't try to work in some sort of addiction to Paul Batman. Dano's Riddler character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Matt Reeves is Cherry because I thought that movie cool. was awful all because of the directing. Yeah. Yeah. I hated that movie too. Um, I don't know that the direction was all the problems. I think editing and lack of vision for the story and, you know, well, all, too, a lot of that too comes much from the director, story. right? I mean, my guess is the Russo's made a three hour, th- three hour long movie that was the highest grossing movie of all time, and so nobody wanted to say no. That's too long. Exactly. That's that's so, what I'm trying to get at. It's that yeah they had but all I, of this stuff that they. I don't think to do. that the only problem with Cherry was that it was long. I I have a lot of issues just with the idea of the movie because I don't know what. I don't know what the movie ever set out to do. So. <laughs> exactly. They don't. You can listen to more of my thoughts on the cherry mini review a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, I wrote a whole, we don't have to get into it here. I, I ranted it, ranted about it on my blog where I was like, you don't know why you're talking about war and addiction. You're just saying war and addiction are bad and that's it. Yeah. All right. Uh, I believe this is the last one. I think you're all out. Yeah. I have one more. Oh, okay. This is, this is my save it for the bet. Save the best for last. Okay. Uh, the one I would love to see the most. This is the, I really think this could turn an okay movie into an excellent movie. We're going with Robert Rodriguez's Attack of the Clones. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> um, I have not seen enough Robert Rodriguez to have a good opinion on this. Other than like Spy Kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm primarily basing off this off of... He can be a very stylized person, uh, but I think he also is really good at world building, and he can definitely direct acting. Uh, really, my my primary uh, influence on this was something like Alita: Battle Angel. Um, mm. So a little bit more like towards that, as opposed to like the From Dusk Dust Till Dawn type, or the like you know the Grindhouse stuff. You know, um, that's really what I was thinking. But I was like, who's somebody like? Look, the best parts of Attack of the Clones are the action sequences. So who's something that could do something great? And like his episode of The Mandalorian was excellent. So mm. like. And he's clearly a Star Wars nerd, and I am literally just remembering this that he did an episode of The Mandalorian now. So, like, you know, it wasn't even in in a, a foresight; it's entirely hindsight. But, uh, but I also think that he he's great at world building, and man, I he would either take the clunky dialogue and turn it into something usable, or he would just turn it into a grindhouse moment. You yeah. know, like. You know, look in the camera, give it, give us a nice, you know, zo- quick zoom in and zoom out at it, and George Clooney revs a chainsaw or something. You know, Robert Rodriguez is Star Wars: Attack of the Clones. Love it, nice. I tried to think of somebody for Revenge of the Sith, but I was like, no, but I like Revenge of the I, Sith. Well, I like Revenge of the Sith. George so, Lucas so is Revenge of the Sith. So who, so who could make a better Attack of the Clones then? <laughs> yeah. So honestly, Ryan Johnson could do Revenge of the Sith. Ryan Johnson could do every Star Wars movie that ever exists from now on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially the like the stuff regarding the prequels and that's what he kind of reckons with in last shot anyway this is a semi-serious one my last one so i didn't i didn't save the best for last and that's gonna be christopher nolan's justice league and you could even go christopher nolan's Zack snyder's justice league (laughs) (laughs) Um, but i think if you take the whatever the original script was it's gonna be better than what whedon did we don't have to get sure. into the piece of garbage yeah. that Whedon's turned out to be, mm-hmm. um, but <laughs> anything that was going to be going to be better than that. You know already, Nolan's good at one DC heroes and two action. So just based on those two things, uh, 
and he's good at being not subtle with his themes. So I, I think you could have gotten a decent uh, Justice League movie from the Justice League script with Christopher Nolan. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, gosh, I even wonder this if is they would have hired... I haven't watched Snyder Cut. Look, I almost wonder if Nolan were to have taken over when Whedon did, if Nolan would have done his best to fulfill Snyder's vision or if he would have done the best to work with what he had and make his own vision, which is what Whedon did. I almost wonder, I almost think it's more so he would have tried to to fill in and do what Snyder wanted to do. I think 100% you're right. Yeah, and that could have led to something really special, I think. And, you know, I also haven't seen Snyder Cut yet, but, um, uh, yeah. Nolan um, produced Snyder Cut, Justice League, BVS, and Man of Steel. So he's like I, involved in all of those in some but way. But I think he's really, I think he's really only a name only for Justice League and BVS. Sure, so. but I know, I know in in Man of Steel he helped develop the script and brought yeah, Snyder on yeah. board in the first. I place. think he had a story credit. So. Yeah, so I I think he uh, he's definitely on board with, with what Snyder does because Snyder's kind of handpicked by him for Man of Steel. Um, yeah, and he he like like we said he produced he's been producing since then so he's definitely on board. So he definitely yeah. would have been truer to Snyder's vision than Whedon was. Yeah, yeah, and I think if if uh, Warner Brothers would have given him the time to to restore oh, yeah. that, and vision, Warner Brothers, right? Yeah, I think if if they would have given him the time to restore that, if they would have given him, you know, because let's see, that came out in twenty seventeen, so he was working on Dunkirk. So yeah. if they'd have been like finish up Dunkirk and then come do this, I, I think it would have been good. Yeah, I agree. I think people were even theorizing that that might happen. Oh yeah, um, I don't remember really. I don't. I don't really remember either because everything happened so quickly. But yeah, I, I'm 100 percent on board with you. Cool. So, as yeah, as long as it's not working from Whedon's script, as long as it's working from the original Snyder right, script. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So doing what Snyder wants. Uh, you know, again, presumably not not having seen the Snyder cut yet. It's got to be better, at least script wise. So far, by all accounts, it's it's good. Cool. All right, let's move on to the spinoff then. Oh, by the way, uh, next month when Robert's on, we're going to do the same topic, mm. except you're going to change the writer. So you have to have the same director, uh, but you have to change the writer. Uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. But uh, we're going to move on to the spinoff real quick. Robert, what's that one thing in pop culture you want to tell everybody to watch or to avoid? So a few weeks back on the BEC, you wrote about Little Miss Sunshine, which I had never seen. Um, <gasps> <laughs> I was looking for something like something safe and something easy for late night movie the other night. I didn't want to watch something difficult to watch. And I was like, little miss sunshine. This should be good. I, I, my wife was doing a puzzle, but I was like, come watch this movie with me. So we brought the dining room table into the living room. So she (laughs) did the puzzle on the couch while we were watching little miss sunshine. And we both really loved it. It was great. What if, what if I built all that up to say, this is a warn. I'm trying, I don't want you to watch it. Um, uh look i the first time i watched it i thought it was okay but i was like 16 at the time and i didn't really think i knew what all was going on and no that movie's excellent yeah i we i really loved it like half an hour in if that i was already in awe by how unique each one of the characters was each one of them is so defined they're they're so perfectly realized and i i just thought it was so great early Early Steve Carell, early Steve Carell doing great. It's all of a sudden one of my th- favorite performances of his. 
Yeah, early Steve Carell. This wasn't his first role at all. He had been a no, semi-recognizable. He might have already been in. Um, he had already been Bruce Virgin. Almighty. Uh, he definitely did Bruce Almighty. Oh, Four Year Old Virgin was next year. Bruce Almighty was what? Oh, three maybe. So the year before. And uh, and of course he started on the Daily Show. So. True. My point about Little Miss Sunshine is that it's very great. The themes are great. It's very watchable. It like it has a section of very dark comedy, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel uncomfortable. Like I felt like it was handled well within the tone of the movie. Just everything about it. I really loved it. It was very, very, very good. Very good. good. Sorry for the stuttering there. My goodness. <laughs> good. Well, I haven't watched a lot of stuff since last week. And so I'm going to like, it's partly because I watched two movies for this podcast and mm. I tried to not talk about TV stuff here. And in general, I don't really feel like I've watched much TV stuff other than at the gym recently. And it's also because I've been playing a lot of video games. So that definitely eats into my time. And uh, I um, have been finished this game that I tweeted about and I really enjoyed. So I'm going to say if you have a PlayStation 2, uh, you should try to get your hands on Nightmare Before Christmas, Oogie's Revenge, or an Xbox, um, original Xbox. It's not backwards compatible. I saw you tweet um, about that. Yeah. And I thought it was like a Nightmare Before Christmas short or something, like a nope. Disney Plus thing. I didn't realize it was no. a video game. So so I had mentioned when we did the thing, and this was really the first time I heard about it, that there was a video game based off of it um, that's a sequel. Uh, so it's not retelling the events of the first one. It's a mm. sequel. came out on PlayStation 2 and Xbox, and turns out if you scour Twitter or the internet, it's really well regarded among people that played it. And there's a lot of nostalgia for it, and I never knew it came out. I managed to find a copy for a decent price. And uh, I mean, it's it's an older game that's in semi-high demand and you know probably wasn't a ton made at the time. So it'll cost you a, a decent amount to get it you know, for, for a PlayStation 2 game. I think the Xbox is a little cheaper. So if you have an original Xbox, do that. But um, yeah, no, this, is, this was a lot of fun. It's And it's a sizable game for PS2. The one thing I'm learning going back to playing all these games is most of them you can do in two or three sittings. Uh, this one, this one took a hot second. Um, it's unique. Um, it's a lot of fun going back to Halloween Town um, and a slight bit in Christmas Town. They get all the original voice actors. They take the 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 songs from the from the movie and have new lyrics to fit the new situations. I had a blast playing it. I really enjoyed it. So nice. The night, the nightmare before Christmas, Oogie's Revenge, on PS2 and Xbox is my spinoff. Cool. Uh, on that note, that's a wrap. Quick reminder, Civ Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. And if you're interested in writing for SivPop.com, you can get in contact with us. And if you want to send us a question that's explored in the B-plot, you can get in contact with us. You can send us uh, uh, an email at writersroom at SivPop.com. Uh, that, that should be in your episode description feed. You can also get in contact with me on Twitter or Letterboxd at Schweitcastle. Uh, if you want to support the show, help out some costs we pay for out of pocket, pay for out of pocket such as fees, equipments, and rentals. You can Venmo me at Schweitgastle. And please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps out the show more than you'll ever know. Uh, but that's that's the stuff to way to the, connect with the show. And uh, Robert, where can people uh, pitch you their ideas of the uh, writer-director combo? <laughs> at Twitter, at underscore Rob's Thoughts. And you can read my blog, roberts-thoughts.com. I am back, and I am writing at least weekly reviews so yeah those places sweet well as always it's been a pleasure having you on Um, it's been a pleasure being here yay next month we'll talk about the untouchables and the sting and uh you know obviously 
still award season, which means there's work to be done. So we got to get back to the writer's room.